Hey everybody, Diane Canada here. We are going to enjoy the next half hour as a part two, kind of a continuation of our great conversation yesterday with Stephen Skelton. The conversation around conservative values. What are they? Why are they important? How do we define them? And are they worth conserving? So come on back for another robust conversation today. See you in a minute. Now's the time for faith. I will praise your holy name even when my whole world falls apart. Father, your light shines brighter in the dark. Hey guys, welcome back. Okay, we've got seven core principles when it comes to conservative values. We were starting to build them out yesterday. We got through two. <laughs> so hopefully today we're going to move things a little bit quicker. But you know, each one we wanted to take a deep dive on and make sure that we're not only explaining it, but that we're giving some recent, you know, more um, examples that are happening right now in our culture to kind of help you understand it. So we're going to try to get through the next how many is that we have left to do? Five <laughs> today. So let me welcome my friend Stephen Skelton onto the show from the American Bible Project. He's helping me with this discussion. So come on in, Stephen. Hey there. Hello. Hey. Hello. Good to see you. Thanks Thank for having me back. You're welcome. Are you up for round two? Yes, I am. <laughs> okay. Ready. Round two. Oh, round two. All right. So, you know, Stephen, we talked about yesterday, for those who might be joining us, um, didn't catch yesterday's show yet, which I highly recommend you guys go back and watch it. Um, but we we were talking about how a lot of people, you know, they're standing up, right, for conservative values, but a lot of people really don't know what they are, or at least they, they have an idea, but they don't really know what the fundamental principles of conservative values are. So that's what we're trying to do is make sure that when they walk away, that they've got a real solid understanding of what it is we're supposed to be standing up for. <laughs> do you find yeah. that? Do you think that's true? Am I crazy? Or you think this is probably true? <laughs> I think I think that it's true that people probably have uh, their, their pet notions of what conservatism is. That's yeah. fine. Yeah. That's fine. Hey, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. But right? there, there, there does leave room for a fuller understanding of what conservatism is. And the seven principles that you're talking about just might do that, provide them with a fuller understanding. Yes. So well put. All right. Well, let's dive back in. So yesterday, just for a recap, we covered um, individual freedom. Um, we talked about how nobody has the the uh, authority to place a value on a person, on a human being, except for God. And so all of our individual freedoms were endowed. They were given to us by God. And it's the government's job to just protect and uphold those, not to grant them. Um, and then we talked about limited government, how important it is to not allow the government to encroach on those civil, civil liberties, that the bigger government gets, the more our civil liberties shrink. And so we've got to keep them at bay, we've got it. We've got to keep that that um, distance very, very strategically, and make sure that we're not giving up our liberties in exchange for some sense of security, um, which we know in from history doesn't end well. Right? All right, Stephen. So today we're going to talk next about the rule of law, and I do want to preface this real quick by saying that I pulled these uh, descriptions of our conservative values from. Louisiana Congressman Mike Johnson. He just had these put so eloquently 
And, uh, and so I pulled these from him. So we're not plagiarizing anything today. Just wanting to let y'all know that. All right, Stephen. So the rule of law, here's his explanation of it. He says, ours is a government of laws and not of men. And the rule of law is our foundation to maintain ordered liberty and a civilized society, public and private virtue should be encouraged and justice must be administered equally and impartially to all. Laws shouldn't be changed for some and they've got to apply to us all the same. He then goes on to say each branch of government must adhere to the Constitution and the judicial branch cannot be allowed to assume or exercise legislative or executive powers. We hear a lot of people saying we can't legislate from the bench and that's what this is talking about. Transparency and accountability are keys to good government and Congress has to faithfully perform its constitutional responsibility of oversight. Okay, so that's his description of it. Um, let me get your reaction first, Stephen, and then we'll, we'll dive a little deeper. Well, as you know, again, my, my wheelhouse is the Christian Foundation of America. And so I, yes. I would like to just note that uh, all of our laws are based on God's laws and that's the way we want it to be because if we don't have a higher moral authority to appeal to, then really it's man against man. Right. And we know how that goes. That's a, he said, he said, or a, she said, she said, or he said, she said. But my point is, it's not what he said. Right. It's not what the God, our father said. So, so really, again, just making the point to lay a foundation here that um, our laws are based on God's laws. We wouldn't have it any other way because that means there's a supreme moral authority to appeal to. Two men are in an argument. It's not that he says this and he says this and whichever one is more powerful gets to have his way, but rather it's that we can both appeal to a higher moral authority, which is God's law. That's what gives man his value that we are created in the image of God and all the crimes against man descend from there, which is to say that the reason it's a crime to kill a man, the reason it's a crime to cheat a man, the reason it's a crime to lie about a man is because his value is found in the fact that he is created in the image of God. So good. That's so well put. I mean, it, you're so right, because one of the things I've said over and over again is that if you know, we're looking at what's right or what's wrong, if the Bible or like we talk about ultimately God's God's law is not the gauge, then what is? <laughs> and like you said, it'll be whoever can out overpower the other one. So rule of law is key. We have to maintain that in our society. Um, and I love one of the things I want to point out on this too, before we move on to the next one is I love the part here where it says that public and private virtue should be encouraged. So it's really when and you can go back to this with the American Bible Project that you've started, um, Stephen. We we talk about how our founding fathers um, were very deeply rooted in Christian Judeo-Christian principles, and that with that first American Bible, the Aitken Bible, that was the first Bible approved and only Bible approved by Congress and recommended for. Yep, there it is. Recommended. You know, I've always got it handy. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Recommended for all Americans to read. And this is what That's we right. wanted to live by. Yeah. Show us that. Let me blow you up a little bit bigger here so we can see. Sure. The only Bible approved by Congress, the only Bible recommended to Americans by the American government and the Bible of the American Revolution, as historians refer to it. Um, by the way, the first one means we had founders of faith. This is the only Bible approved by Congress, founders of faith. Mm -hmm. The only Bible recommended to Americans mean we had a citizenry of faith. So we've got founders of faith, 
a citizenry of faith, and the last one means at the foundation of our nation. It, it really truly is the hold it in your hand proof that America was founded as a Christian nation. The That's first right. American That's right. So to to Congressman Johnson's point here when he's talking about on this rule of law that public and private virtue should be encouraged. We know from our founding fathers and from our from the Congress approving that Bible that that if we I, I, let me just put it this way. I think as citizens, you just brought it up a minute ago, as citizens, we needed to adhere to those principles in order to have a civilized society. So we are to be self-governing. We are to be have maintained self-control we're to have our own um special relationship our own relationship with god and that if we are a virtuous people we are a moral people then it not only is it a, a in in great uh concert with our laws but it's the only way that they're going to be maintained you know it's the only way that we're going to maintain a civilized society otherwise anything goes like again what's what's the difference that's exactly right. And I want to tie this thought of rule of law uh, back into something we were talking about yesterday, which was the restriction of our civil liberties. And we were talking about the context of COVID and the way in which uh, in, in, in some cases the government seems to have uh, overreached in terms of its ability to shut down businesses and shut down churches um, and, and not allow them to either do business in the case of businesses or attend church and worship in the case of uh, the churches. And what I want to say here is that uh, yesterday I was laying out the case that uh, you, you can find instances where this was a power grab. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to provide a little bit different perspective that just really briefly that ties into the rule of law, which is to say, uh, let's assume that the people in government that restricted businesses from being open and restricted churches from, uh, from meeting had the best interests of the people at heart. It still does not matter if it's illegal. Motives don't matter if it's illegal. Feelings don't matter if it's illegal. So I, I did just want to provide a, another perspective. If someone was to, to answer me and say, well, you know, our, our government actually wasn't a power grab. You're portraying them in a negative light. In fact, they were doing it out of concern for the public health. And that's why they closed down those businesses and kept them closed down. That's why they closed down those churches and kept them closed down, because they had the interest of the people at heart. That's fine. That's fine. But it won't change the fact if it's deemed to be illegal, if it's deemed to be an overreach of power, because we are a nation ruled not by feelings, but by laws. That's exactly right. And that's a very important point to make there. Okay, thank you for that. Okay, our next conservative value is peace through strength. This is what Congressman Johnson has written. He says, the first, the first obligation of the federal government. Number one, numero uno obligation is to provide for the common defense of the United States by protecting our homeland and our strategic interests abroad. Because America serves in a natural role of moral leadership in an increasingly dangerous world and weakness invites aggression. I will say that again, weakness invites aggression. We must remain the strongest military power on earth, fully prepared and capable of defeating any adversary, tyrant, or terrorist under any circumstances at any time. Adequate investment, then, is necessary to maintain the air, land, sea, nuclear, and cyber warfare. 
enemies of the U.S. only understand one thing. This is me adding this on a force greater than themselves. So, Stephen, when we've got people chanting like it's their, you know, <laughs> seems to be their motto of death to America, you know, uh, we can't we probably can't reason with those folks. <laughs> you know, what do you right. think? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And in fact, as so many of these conservative principles illustrate, once again, we find our roots in, in biblical thought, which is to say that ever since Cain killed Abel, we've seen that the powerful will will do to the weak whatever they wish to do to the weak. And so this idea of peace through strength, I think, actually finds its roots in biblical thought, that because of the fall of man, because we are all given to our own wants and desires, and that applies not only to individuals, but also to the nations, because we are fallen, because we desire things, because we desire things at the expense of others, and we are have proven more than willing to, to do just that, achieve what we want at the expense of others, then the position of saying that we will achieve strength through peace, I find to be completely congruent. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And I can see people people's point when they say things like, you know, uh, when we look at the already the might of our military, you know, now I, I will say that in the Obama years, they depleted it, completely depleted it. Um, when Trump came in, he reinvested in our military and old, worn out, dilapidated, you know, equipment that and, and you know, war. Um, um, what am I trying to say? Like weapons of war were completely inadequate, you know, and so he came and he and he built that back up and then even created Space Force, which was pretty neat. I'd still like to learn more about that, <laughs> you know, but at any rate. We have to have that strong military. And I can see where people would say, well, how big does it need to get? How much more do we need to invest? How much, you know, how big do we really need to be? Well, as big as we need to be, I mean, we have to continue. We can't lay out, rest on our laurels. We can't because our enemies are constantly advancing, constantly advancing their technologies and constantly. I mean, I think I saw Russia the other day put out a, a, a plane that, you know, even surpasses the ones we had, at least that we, that we know about surpasses the ones we know about. And, you know, so we're, it's going to constantly be um, an increase in that might to meet those adversaries and, and uh, be able to, you know, to not be overpowered by them. So I don't think there's an end in sight to that. You know, um, we hope to God, we never, ever, ever have to use it, but that is the point. You know, Absolutely. go ahead. You, you took, took the thought out of my head was, wouldn't it be great if we didn't need militaries? Yeah. I'm talking about the nations of the world. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we didn't need militaries? But the fact of the matter is that we live in a fallen world. The fact yes. of the matter is that we are fallen beings uh, given to favor ourselves over others. It, it is the uh, unusual circumstance where we sacrifice ourselves or our own self-interest for the benefit of others. That's More right. often, the story is that we use our position of power to take advantage of others. Well, from the, the the defensive side of things, then we need to be ready for someone else to do that to us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's, I hate that it is that way, but that's, you know, one of the things I say over and over is that human nature doesn't change. You know, we look back again on all of our history, human nature doesn't change no matter what era, no matter what decade, no matter what generation we're in it doesn't the human nature doesn't change because we live in a sinful world we right. just have we are we are sin beings you know so that we can never um we're never going to a achieve a place 
in the human experience um, of perfection or where everybody can just get, get along in some utopia. I wish we could. I think we're a lot more civilized these days than we used to be. Um, but, you know, it, as far as we look back at, you know, other societies, other um, countries around the world in history, there was a lot of brutality, <laughs> you know, <laughs> a lot of brutality in the world. Uh, but, you know, to maintain that civil society, um, we've got to we've got to maintain our peace st through strength. All right, Stephen, our next one here, this is a big one, is fiscal responsibility. So I will say uh, when we talk about how maybe people don't know what conservative values, what they actually are defined as. I remember when I first ran for office, when I was first coming into the race, someone asked me, well, are you a fiscal conservative? And I remember being stumped by that question. <laughs> I'm embarrassed to admit that now, but I had to go look it up. Like, what does that mean? A fiscal conservative, you know? And then of course, now, now I understand it better. Um, but this is what fiscal responsibility is. According to Mike Johnson, because government has refused to live within its means, America is facing an unprecedented debt and spending crisis. Federal debt now exceeds $26 trillion and our current fiscal path is unsustainable and dangerous, jeopardizing our nation's economic growth, stability and the future and the security of future generations. Congress has a moral and constitutional duty to resolve the crisis, bring spending under control, balance the federal budget, reform and modernize entitlement programs. Ugh, I'd love to see that happen. Eliminate fraud, waste and abuse, pursue continued pro-growth tax reforms and permanent tax reductions and restore regular order and accountability in the budget and appropriations process. So that's, um, that's a great way to sum that up. Your reaction on that, Stephen? Uh, well, um, I, I I find myself saying, "Give unto Caesar uh, what is Caesar's, uh, but not more than what is Caesar's." <laughs> yeah. And, and it seems like that, in a way, is what we we've done. Uh, we've I don't know whether it's through materialism or it's through greed or it's through various want and uh, wants and desires that that the nation has had. Uh, we have uh, taken that that uh, debt to, to new depths. I think I was going to say heights, but I think it's more correct to say depths, but you understand the numbers getting larger, numbers getting larger. And that's a bad thing because we're sinking further into debt. We should be um, mindful of the fact that while this is the conservative ideal, uh, conservative leaders have not always been the, the best at practicing this ideal. I do not mean to lay that, that large debt sum at the feet of, uh, of, of liberals. Uh, so at any rate, it is a conservative ideal. I do think, again, it finds its roots in the Bible. Uh, I do think that uh, that there there should be a um, a responsibility that gives unto Caesar what is Caesar, but also unto God what is God's. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree, and that's a great that was a great point. And you know, something I'll just add to that quickly is when we look at Tennessee, for example. Okay, we look at we look at Democrat-run cities and we look at Republican-run cities or states. In Tennessee, at the state level, we not only have a balanced budget, we, and we have a supermajority of Republicans in the House and in the Senate right now. So we have a supermajority on Capitol Hill of Republicans in the state of Tennessee. We have not only a balanced budget, but we have massive surplus, and we have several million, I think it is, is it 
I, I think we have, I want to say four or five million, don't quote me on that, in our rainy day fund. So, and it might, it might be more than that. So we, so this is what fiscal conservatives do is we are careful. We are good stewards of the money. And again, not everyone. I realize there are probably a few, we don't ever want to generalize everybody, but I'm just saying, if you look consistently across Republican run states or Republican run cities, generally the budgeting is going to be a lot healthier versus Nashville, who is, has always been democratically run. They not only have a huge debt problem there. I want to say, I, I wish I had looked this up before. I wish I had thought of this to look this up, but I want to say that the city of Nashville alone has more debt than the entire state of Tennessee. Wow. Yeah. I mean, so, and we look at it across all of the United States, all of these Democrat cities, this is what's really being, uh, this is a, a big issue right now in this quote unquote infrastructure bill that's trying to be passed right now at, at the U.S. level. One of the things that's kind of packed in there is their ability to bail out all of these Democrat cities that have overspent, that have managed their money poorly, all of that. And this is one of the things the Republicans are fighting so much is why should taxpayers have to go in and, and bail out a city that's already mismanaged their tax dollars? <laughs> it's kind of, you know, so, and, and we look at a lot of these entitled, like these entitlement programs that he just brought up in that explanation. This is a lot of the problem. You know, conservatives are kind of labeled as the cold hearted, you know, people. They, we, in the, in the eyes and in the hearts of a lot of the liberals, they think of us as being um, not compassionate enough or not empathetic enough to the people who are not as um, privileged financially. But that couldn't be. I mean, there's story after story after story of people who, I mean, we look at Carol Swain, Dr. Carol Swain, for instance. She's a strong Republican here in Tennessee. She started out literally in a, in a, shack with multiple brothers and sisters um, as poor as they could possibly be and she now rose through education she rose and is and got her doctorate she has taught at Princeton she has taught at Vanderbilt you know so we are the party of encouraging you to reach your God-given potential no matter where you start off in life whereas in the Democrat liberal kind of mentality it's just give every if people are underprivileged just give them a handout that's what they need. And that reflects in those budgets. It reflects in the way that they spend their money. And so it's not that we're not compassionate. We are very compassionate. It's just we believe in God-given and, and human potential. We don't believe that people should live for a small little life and just accept a little government handout. You know, so I could go on about that. I thought that was going to be a quick one, but clearly I get caught up in those. <laughs> All right, we have two more. Free markets is our next one. This is our next conservative official principle. Mike Johnson says the free enterprise system rewards hard work, what we were just talking about, and self-sacrifice, and is the basis and the genius of the American economy. Government stands as the greatest obstacle to the progress and prosperity of free people. Wow. Free markets and free trade agreements allow for innovation, yes, improvement and economic expansion. As risk takers, entrepreneurs, and business owners are given the liberty to pursue the American dream and create more jobs and upward mobility for more people. We believe competition should be encouraged and government intervention and regulations should be limited. 
the people are better qualified to make decisions about their own lives and finances than bureaucrats. And the private sector will outperform the public sector in virtually every scenario. So we were just talking about that, Stephen. So yeah, your reaction on that. Absolutely. You say free markets, I say free will. Um, and and the, they're one and the same in the, in the context of this, uh, this point here, which is just to say the more that business leaders are able to thrive, the more we all benefit, the more uh, jobs are created, the more mm-hmm. products are created, uh, the more revenue is generated, uh, the more taxes are paid on that revenue. But at any rate, the healthier the economy is, the more the market is allowed to be free and, and kept free of government intervention and regulation. Yes, exactly. Not to say that there shouldn't be government regulation in some areas. I heard a little voice in my head say, well, there, there is some regulation that might be needed in the case that our, um, our, our, some of our individuals, some of our business leaders uh, act in ways that are contrary to the best interests of, uh, of others. Well, then it may be that a power. We're not, we're not saying that a free market means that there should be absolutely positively zero government uh, regulation or government influence. For the good of the people, there might need to be some regulation. There might need to be some, some government uh, limitations that are put into place on businesses. But by and large, by and large, the conservative principle, the idea that the free market should be uh, left to operate of its own devices uh, with limited government influence is uh, is certainly a conservative value that uh, that we should all embrace. Yeah, well said. Since we're on limited time, I'll reserve any more comments I had on that. <laughs> so we'll just go on to our last one here, which okay. looks like we're going to make it through them, Stephen. We're going to do it. Yes, our last conservative principle here. I love this one: is human dignity. Mike Johnson says, because all men are created equal and in the image of God, every human life has inestimable dignity and value. Did I say that right? We can't estimate the dignity and the value of someone, but in other words, and every person should be measured only by the content of their character. A just government protects life honors marriage and family as the primary institutions of a healthy society and embraces the vital cultural influences of religion and morality. Let me read that again. A just government, a just government protects life, honors marriage and family as the primary institutions of a healthy society and embraces the vital cultural influences of religion and morality. Public policy should always encourage education and emphasize the virtue of hard work as a pathway out of poverty, while public assistance programs should be reserved only for those truly in need. In America, everyone who plays by the rules should get a fair shot. By preserving these ideals, we will maintain the goodness of America that has been the secret to our greatness. I'll say the secret to our success. I couldn't agree with him more. Your reaction? Yeah, absolutely. Um, moral character should be one of the chief qualifications uh, that we we look to have in a person. Uh, other things can follow that, you know, competency within uh, the the work that they're doing. Uh, but but so many things will flow from moral character: integrity, honesty, trustworthiness, compassion, mm-hmm. kindness, generosity. All these things are moral qualities that we're talking about here. And in fact, they're, they're moral qualities of value because they're godly qualities. 
there, there are qualities and principles that we see exemplified uh, and promoted uh, through biblical thought. So uh, at any rate, uh, unfortunately, and, and I'm going to go a direction that maybe you already see me going, but we see too much in the culture today of downplaying character. And instead, we're, we're not emphasizing the moral, we're emphasizing the physical, which is such a shame. It, it, it is looking at individuals through purely worldly eyes as opposed through spiritual eyes, which you might even say are godly eyes, because God does not care about the color of our skin. As Martin Luther King told us, he cares about the content of our character. So at any rate, um, I could go on and on, but I think I'll limit myself right there just to say that character, character first, character counts, to, to borrow a phrase. You know, that is such a great, that's just, just such a great point to kind of end on, that we see, we see this so much in our younger generation right now, right? Trying to live up to the Photoshop ideals on social media, you know, um, and, and not understanding uh, their real value and their real beauty. And that beauty used to my, my husband, I love, I mean, he's always so generous with his, um, with his words with me. And one of the things he says all the time is that, you know, you're beautiful inside. And I love that. I mean, that's just the best compliment any husband can give his wife, I think, you know, but, but I think that the heart, and that's what God's after. He's after our heart. And we talk about like in the Bible, you know, we have the Pharisees, right? Who were all about upholding the laws to, to with absolutely zero tolerance, you know, and bad, bad things happen to you if you don't follow these laws exactly. Well, Jesus came and showed us that as human beings, we're, we're not capable of living up to a holy standard. We're not, you know, we can, we can do our best to obey, but we can't do that without the Holy Spirit. We can't do that without a spiritual help because as human beings, we've talked about we're, we're flawed, you know, we're flawed with sin, with the sin nature. And so when we give our hearts to Jesus, we give our hearts to the Lord, then he, the Holy Spirit come alongside of us and they help us to not only, uh, obey God's laws, we're still going to fall short. We're still going to make mistakes, but it's, it's the difference. I think Stephen is that our want to changes. It's our heart that Jesus is after most. It's not our performance. It's not our behavior. It's our heart. So the heart is what he's looking at. That's what we need to be looking at in each other. You know, he's the perfect example of that, I think. And so, yes, instead of trying to be the perfect image I think we need to work harder on getting our hearts right, you know, and, and if we can get that right, then everything that comes out of us, people are more beautiful when their hearts are right. They just are. If somebody's got a black heart, they're an ugly person. <laughs> they just are. But all right. So just to recap real quick on these seven principles of conservative values, individual freedom. We have limited government. We have the rule of law, peace, through strength, fiscal responsibility, free markets, and human dignity. And Stephen, we got through them all. We did it. <laughs> we did it. We need to make uh, up t-shirts. We need it, yes. <laughs> Thank you for helping me build this out and, and helping me dive deeper into these into these principles. Um, I think that this is going to help a lot of people. And uh, I want to just say to all of you who are watching before we pray over you, you know, thank you for being the type of person that wants to dive deeper, 
thank you for watching a program like this and wanting to to have more clarity in this area so that you can go out there and be a person of influence and we believe that you will be we are agreeing with you on that and uh, as you continue to learn and grow then you'll be able to influence the people around you even more and that's how we're going to turn our nation back to god one person at a time one conversation at a time and you getting equipped spending this time to get equipped to do that is uh, pretty cool in my book. <laughs> so, yeah. All right, Stephen. So, uh, let's tell them real quick about uh, our Lady Up America event coming up. You want to tell them about this real oh, quick? Oh, I'm super excited about this. On August 20th, uh, we're going to have a Lady Up America event that's happening. It's going to be Diane, myself, and our friend Joni Bryan with the 917 Society. Uh, as well as a few special guests. Dr. Ming Wang will also be there, and a number of legislators are also going to be there, some of those great people that we have to thank for Tennessee having a balanced budget, among many other great qualities. They're going to be there, some of our state leaders. It's going to happen at Maggiano's, the restaurant in Nashville. Again, that date is August 20th, and uh, I think that you can access more information at the website ladyupamerica.com. Again, that's ladyupamerica.com. And we hope to see all of you there and bring a friend. Yes, 100%. Good job. <laughs> Good Thank job. You. Thank you. All right. Let's, uh, let's pray over everyone today, Stephen, and uh, send them on their way. Thank you so much, Father God, for, for, for giving us the opportunity to come together and not only explore the foundational concepts of our country even deeper, but Lord, the opportunity to really see that, that they were grounded and rooted in you. And I hope, Lord, that this not only gives us a deeper appreciation and love for you, Lord, but that it also does for everyone under the sound of my voice. I pray, Lord, that you'll use this time and this program. You'll multiply it for all of the people listening. Lord, that you will give them a, just a, a supercharged enthusiasm to spread this good news to spread what's available to people when our country is rooted in you. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to bless America. Lord, I know that we're on shaky ground right now, but you said that if your people would turn away from their wicked ways and if they would come to you and humble themselves to you, Lord, that you would heal our land. I, I pray, Lord, that we're going to hold you to that promise, Lord, and we're going to ask that more and more people turn to you, turn back to you and away from their wicked ways, Lord, and that you would heal our land, that you would forgive us and heal our land. So we thank you for that. We pray for blessings and abundance, safety, security, wellness, but most of all, Lord, for right hearts toward you. Just break our hearts for what breaks yours, Lord, and get us back to a place of purity in our hearts, Lord, toward you. We love you and we praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. Thank you, Stephen, my friend. And uh, Thanks, Diane. thank you all so much. And we will see you.